Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. Another episode related to timber. So I guess that's getting everyone excited. I usually see more interest in timbery episodes than any other type of topic in, in fire science. I really wonder why why is that? I guess it's uh, one of the most exciting things that happen around and one of the least well understood problems in fire science for people outside of uh, our core group of fire science engineers. And my today's guests have certainly steered the attention to the problem and the issues and some features of it for sure. Uh, with their post on LinkedIn that went absolutely crazy. They've posted a video of a collapse of a column under load. The column was heated for a fairly short amount of time, like 15 minutes, and then left all alone, still under load. And after 90 or so minutes, it, it just cracked. Uh, and that was one of the shortest and easiest visual representations of what the threat looks like. The fact that fire has ended doesn't mean the, the structural performance is from now unhindered by the consequences of the fire. The fact that you have a completely different material that behaves completely different at certain temperatures, at certain points of heat transfer into the element. Ah, that's beautiful fire science, absolutely beautiful. So I, after I saw that poster, well, I had to invite them immediately to the podcast episode to discuss the decay phase collapse and all the stuff around that. It's still an early research. I think they've pinpointed something explicitly important for the fire science and the design of timber buildings. And uh, it seems they're looking further into that. So more is expected to come, but I'm very happy we are able to, to share these results with you at this point. My today's guests are Professor Thomas Genet from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, he was already in the podcast talking about uh, structural fire engineering. So you're very welcome to check that episode as well. And the second guest is Professor Johann Zephus from Technische Universität Braunschweig, who has carried the research that we are talking about in here. Uh, the collaboration was, was much larger and you'll learn about it from the episode, but these two, these two guys I've invited to talk and uh, to talk with it. So let's not prolong this anymore. Let's spin the intro and jump into the episode. Welcome to the Fireside Show. My name is Wojciech Wingzinski and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fire Science Show. I'm here today with two guests who did quite a mess on LinkedIn a few weeks ago by their their post on, on failure of timber element. Uh, that is Professor Thomas Chernet. Hey, Thomas, great to have you back in the podcast. Hello, Wojciech. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, a new guest, Professor Johan Zephus. Hello, Professor Johan. Very nice to have you in the show. Hello, everybody. Fantastic. Uh, thank you. Thank you for um, taking my invite. You, you seem to be superstars now with your research. Uh, actually, I'll describe if, if someone missed what happened. You have performed an interesting research into timber column failure during the cooling phase and posted a post on LinkedIn with a video of the failure. And it, it for engineering standards, it, it went quite viral. 
And I, I found it super interesting because you've captured in a very visual way one of the things we really struggle to discuss. It's super difficult to explain someone why decay phase would be important and you with the 10 second video have nailed it perfectly. But let's not have this uh, episode about the video. Let, let's have it about the research that, that led there. So uh, how about we discuss the decay phase overall? Like what, what is the decay phase and why would we care about it at all? Indeed, it starts with looking into how real fire develop and grow and then decay and understanding what effects that can have on, on structural stability and on structures. And in the structural fire community, there's been a shift toward going to those performance-based fire design approach. So we want to really understand on the real fire um, how a structure is going to respond. And so in the community, we start to understand that when the gas temperature in a component start to decrease, that's not the end uh, for the structure, far from it, because uh, for one, there is going to be a thermal lag. There is going to be these heat waves that continues penetrating deeper in the sections. And so you have the core of the section of your structural members, uh, which temperatures continues increasing. As a result, their strengths and mechanical properties continue decreasing, and you can have delayed failure. This is Simple physics, this is this stands true for all material. You always have this, this heat wave it comes from the differential equations of uh, heat conduction. So it's independent of whether a material is combustible, such as timber, or non-combustible, such as steel and concrete. And so many people in the community have been becoming more and more interested in understanding that, quantifying that threat of delayed collapse. We have also mm -hmm. seen some real fire accidents. There were delayed failure during cooling that can be particularly threatening to firefighters and first responders who might be inside buildings. So it's very important for us structural fire engineers to, to understand that. And from there, we started working with modeling, and then now we move mm -hmm. to experiments and eventually to these experiments on timber columns. But this delay phase, this late failure, or maybe even post-fire failure, within our paradigm of fire resistance and ISO curve and RAE classes, it's not there. I mean, the, the, the standard curve goes uh, up all the way. It never goes down. So, so it's not a part of our paradigm today of, of testing structural members, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, the resistance class approach is, say, a very simple approach we use all over the world with the ISO uh, 834 curve. That is also a very simple model of the realistic fire. But as it is a very simple model, you can subject all elements for this uh, ISO curve. And of course, we neglect the cooling phase. And uh, as Thomas said, we have this delay problem. And this is also a problem for concrete elements as well, not so much for steel elements because they have a very high heat conductivity and they are not so massive the cross-sections, but the difference for the timber between timber and uh, concrete is then, of course, that timber is a burning material. So that we have not only the delayed heating, um, where the core is heated later uh, or in the cooling phase as well, and we have also fire or yeah, a reducing cross-section caused by the burning as we know, the burning happens till the fire is nearly extinguished. We, we have also 
burning in our cross-sections uh, with temperatures beyond 300 degrees in the cooling phase. And then uh, another point is, uh, as mentioned also in the paper, the degradation of the mechanical properties of timber, for example, which degrade um, until temperatures of uh, 100 degrees and even lower, uh, where we lose capacity or strength. I just wanted to point out that I, I actually had a podcast episode with Felix Fisner about the moisture transport within timber elements and how the, the thermal wave propagates. He has tortured me with very scientific terms, and uh, but uh, it was a popular episode for some reason. Maybe it's, it's the magic of, of Felix, but but indeed a lot happens within timber uh, at quite low temperatures because let's face it, 100 degrees for a fire temperatures, that's not a very very high temperature. Uh, so you can probably expect this be reached at very deep into your true element. So now, now let's uh, talk about when have you realized that um, such a research is necessary and the differences may be so big that it, it really requires calls for additional investigation. So on my hand, it has been quite a, a long process of wrapping my head around this, this issue of delayed failure. I can trace mm -hmm. it back to 2010, 2011, when I was working on my PhD and I was developing um, a material model for concrete in fire. And um, I was focusing also on the, on the cooling phase, trying to get those material properties and reversibility right and transient creeps and, and all of that. And so as part of this, I, I was doing some numerical modeling with columns, loaded columns. And when I was applying natural fires with the cooling phase, I, I could observe in some cases delayed failure. So that was 2010, 2011. I said, well, that's that's interesting. And as I mentioned, there had been a few accidents, such as the Great Southern Bash, uh, Parking in, in Switzerland, where there had been a failure in cooling. So I thought that's something to, to work further on. So mm -hmm. a little bit later, I started trying to systematize this study. And I had a paper with Jean-Marc Franzen where we proposed an, a standard indicator to try to approach the problem of burnout resistance or resistance to, to full burnout in a systematic way with numerical modeling. And when we applied this approach to different types of structural members, we identified that um, uh, it was possible to show that timber was possibly more at risk for the reasons mentioned by, by Jochen. And really, most of the reasons are the fact that you have this very low conductivity, so the heat transfer takes a long, a long time coupled with reduction of strength at low temperatures. So even if for five hours after the fire, you get to 80 degrees C, 100 degrees C in the core, you lose a lot of, of strength. Just to put number, if you trust the Eurocode Annex uh, B on advanced calculation methods, at 100 degrees C, the reduction factor for the strength is 25% for compression and 65% and for tension. So you've lost actually most of your strengths, right? And so from there, I did more numerical modeling, studying reinforced concrete columns, uh, timber columns, and so on. And we could indeed show that the burnout resistance for timber was significantly lower than its fire resistance, meaning there was a risk of failure under a relatively short fire. But there were still no experiments that had specifically been designed to, to quantify this. So testing members loaded under heating and cooling to, to, to see the failure. 
So finally, there was this great consortium with lots of lots of institutions and colleagues who had all been working on this issue, you know, independently. I was so, oh, we should we should do something together. So uh, on these timber experiments, of course, uh, Jochen, who is here, right, who, who conducted the experiments, but in the consortium there is also Cerib with Fabien Robert, uh, Jean-Marc Francen at University of Liège. Uh, Robert Magnami at, at RISE, uh, Patrick Bamonte at, in Milan, and I, I think I, I'm not forgetting anyone, but that, that's a great team. So mm. we work together to devise an experiment to be able to study this and try to be as systematic as possible and, and, and show what the behavior would be. From my point of view, I think in the last 10 years, we made in our institute several projects like on the fire behavior of timber structures. Um, most of them, mm. of course, were protected, gypsum boards. But then I think in most other European countries, we have a trend to, to applying more timber buildings or uh, there were, there's a trend to build more timber buildings yeah, due to, for example, sustainable sustainability or um, decarbonization reasons and so And so building regulations are changing and they need research. And so we had uh, in several projects the question, what will happen when we have timber elements which are not protected? Massive timber elements, for example, CLTs and so on. And how many percent is allowed of the enclosure to be unprotected. And then there was also the question, do we have a self-extinction of the uh, timber elements when the so-called mobile fire load, the furnishings, and thus is burned? Um, but on the other hand, we have uh, the timber, which is also burning, which is called structural fire load. And we see in several projects, it's not so easy to predict self-extinction And depends, of course, um, on the geometry of the fire compartment, on the oxygen, um, which fl oxygen flow and some other parameters. And so self-extinction is, uh, I would say, a very seldom case. Yeah? In some circumstances, it could happen. And then, of course, there's the question, what will happen in the cooling phase when the cross-section is reducing, 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 and then, of course, there could be a failure. And this is uh, our motivation to go deeper in this subject. And, so, and then we find, <laughs> we find ourselves in this group, uh, as you said, the European um, champions. <laughs> don't know if this is the right word. All-stars, European all-stars. <laughs> But uh, some of the leading researchers uh, from the European countries And I think it's a good thing that we find together and uh, do a, a systematical research, investigating also the, the approach of uh, Thomas, that we create a method which is originally used for um, concrete um, elements and to adopt that now um, for timber elements as well. Beautiful. So tell me more about the research. And I already see there is so many, I'm noting the factors that, that you've mentioned. There was different losses uh, in, in compression, intention. Uh, I guess utilization factor of the element would play a big role. Um, Johan mentioned technology. So I guess when we get come into like uh, glued elements like CLT, it must be super interesting. So, so 
Tell, tell me, how, how did you approach this research to, to really like narrow it down to the most interesting and, and where did you find the most interesting thing to go for? The key idea to, is to be systematic and to find a way to, I would say, almost standardize the quantification of the behavior of structural elements mm -hmm. under fires that include the decay phase. So the approach th that we proposed consists in subjecting structural members to fire of varying duration of heating phase okay. until identifying the shortest fire that leads to failure or the longest fire that could be survived indefinitely to burn out, if you want. So this, this threshold. In order to do that and to be systematic, what we propose is to use the heating according to ISO 834, since everybody's familiar with this heating, but then to stop at some point and to have a linear cooling phase that is in accordance with the Eurocode parametric fire model. So why a linear cooling phase? Because we could take any cooling phase, but the only natural fire that is in the Eurocode that is codified is the parametric fire. So we may as well take that one and everybody can take that one. Sorry, Thomas. And it's important to note that is the cooling of the furnace it's itself. So it is the external boundary condition on, imposed on your element. And what happens in the element is, is the physics of the element. And that's what you're looking at, right? Exactly. So we are talking here about temperature in the furnace, but once the temperature starts decreasing in the furnace, of course, in parts of the elements in the interior, the temperature keeps on increasing. So this is the idea. Find the burnout resistance, the shortest fire that leads to failure. And then from there, we devised an experimental program, a test matrix, where we built identical specimens. So we had for the timber, we had eight glue lamp mm -hmm. colons, identical. We defined the load on these columns, assuming that they were in a typical uh, buildings and doing the Eurocode design. So they had utilization factor in terms of loading that would be typical in the fire situation according to the codes. And the only thing that varied between the experiments on each of those eight columns was the fire, mm -hmm. the definition of the, I would say, more gas temperature time curve in the furnace to be more uh, specific. So we repeated all tests twice. We had tests to measure the standard fire resistance R. So for R, we obtained uh, 55 and 58 minutes in the two mm -hmm. tests. Then informed by the numerical modeling by finite element models conducted prior to the test, we had a test with a heating for 15 minutes followed by the linear cooling mm -hmm. phase. And we did it twice and the two columns failed during cooling quite late in the cooling phase. So they failed after... 98 minutes for one and 153 minutes for the other. So again, that's a column that's heated for 15, 15 minutes. minutes okay. Then, then, cool, then the furnace temperature is cooling and it fails at f after two and a half hour. What, what, right? what was the approximate temperature after 15? 600 something? Yeah, 700. Uh, that's not much for for fire. Uh, that, that's heat flux of like 35 kilowatts per square meter. That's not, not huge in terms of, of uh, exposure, to be honest. Yeah. Right. And when it failed, so again, after two hours and a half, the temperature was in the furnace almost back to around 100 degrees C because it plateaus. It doesn't go exactly to 20, but it was, it was cool, right? And then two columns under 10 minutes heating, followed by linear cooling, and these two survived and we measured the, the residual strengths. But so we reached our objective in this experimental campaign to test identical members, only vary the heating exposure and have the three outcomes that you wanted to have. So, measure the standard fire resistance, find a short fire, but that results in failure, and then find the slightly shorter fire that would be survived. So we bounded this burnout resistance, this 
fire. That's the threshold between failure in cooling and, and survivability to full burnout. Okay, I guess the most interesting thing is what different in the 10 versus 15 minute fire. So how much did the temperature profiles inside vary and how big the difference uh, was in, in what you've observed between these two tests? Yeah, it seems to be only five minutes difference huh, in this yeah. uh, DHP time, 10 or 15 minutes. But um, it means when you see um, on the uh, ISO curve, the ISO curve increasing very high in the first minutes and there we have a difference about 100 120 degrees about between the 10th and 15th minutes and uh, that means um, that also in the cooling phase because the cooling phase um, the temperature time course in the cooling phase is parallel yeah going from the uh, starting from the 10th minute or from the 15th minute. And that means that we have even higher temperatures in the cross section, which are approximately this 100 degrees and more. And then we have in the columns which survive the fire with a DHP of 10 minutes, we uh, remain in, um, in the main parts of the cross section under the 300 degrees in the core, we had lower or very lower temperatures, but in the cases of the DHP of 15 minutes, we have higher temperatures in the cores. So the cross section, which remains under the 300 degrees, is very much lower. So to put it into perspective, the amount of heat that this column got from this additional five minutes of exposure, obviously now higher temperatures at a higher exposure. So the sum of heat just could penetrate so much deeper into the column that it pretty much damaged or weakened such a significantly larger part of the cross-section that under this load, it was not, not enough anymore. That's superb difference. But uh, we're talking here about uh, something that is heated from four side. Let's, uh, I hope you're comfortable with uh, hypothesizing, but what if this was a, a slab? I mean, then we would be talking about one side exposure. I would say that we can generalize that. Of course, not the numbers, the quantification depends, members, the applied load, etc. And in a real building, all these will be slightly different. But it's important to understand that what we showed in those tests is not a fluke. It's not something particular that happened because of delamination or because of this specific column being heated on four sides. It's really a demonstration of the physics of the fact that heat transfer continues during the cooling phase and even thereafter. As a result, the interior parts of the sections get hotter than at the time of the peak gas temperature. And so they lose their strength. And if the loss of strength in the core is, is sufficiently severe, then it gets to failure. So this is true regardless of the thermal boundary condition in terms of the number of heated uh, sides. It's true also regardless of the type of member. And again, it's true, but to a different extent because material loads are different, but it's true also for concrete. And we had uh, papers with numerical modeling that show that showed that for concrete. Also wanted to add that, so this phenomenon, we, we, ex we understand it, we can exp relate it to the physics. And again, we were able to model it uh, with finite element models, including before conducting the experiment. So it's not calibrating, you know, but mm -hmm. a priori modeling. So we had the paper published before and the agreement is, is actually quite close, which as a side note is also interesting because Finite element models of timber elements in cooling at this time 
they rely on properties, uh, mechanical thermal properties that are provided in the Eurocode, um, Eurocode 5, Part 1, 2, Annex B, which have been derived based on ISO exposure for heating. So there, there was a little bit of an unknown whether predictions, you know, extrapolating to modeling the cooling would be appropriate. And through those experiments, we see that although puts can always be improved, overall, we can uh, predict the behavior. So really, these models, finite element models, can be very useful in understanding and predicting whether there will be failure in cooling, including with our current knowledge of properties, which, again, I hope we improve. I hope we get that even more accurate, but it's already working quite well. Were there any other things observed during the test, like maybe the, the failure mode have shocked you in, in a way? Uh, how, how did the failure mode actually look compared to the failure of the same element without any heating? Because I know you also like crushed one of them, right? Uh, yes, we also crushed one um, element without heating. To be sure, what, what load degree we assumed, as Thomas said, mm. we defined the load degree in a way which is usual for, uh, let's say, flat buildings following the codes. But in our tests, in our cold tests, um, we stated a very a higher um, capacity as we assumed with, uh, with the um, formulas of the code. So one reason might be that there is a, a very large spread due to the material, timber, which you cannot compare with steel or with concrete. And yeah, um, the failure mode was for for the um, fire exposed columns uh, due to the reduced cross section, of course. And then, let's say it was, uh, I think, more or less the failure on the tension side, uh, where we had the failure of the finger joints. That seems to be the mode in the tests. Um, we had for isofire and also for the tests in the cooling phase. So you mean the connections where the lamellas are glued together? Yes. So we have to go deeper in this mm -hmm. subject, but these were the first uh, insights we had. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And uh, the timber was much stronger than Eurocode. So I, I guess you've ordered the sample as a laboratory. They always send you the strongest samples they have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ruining science by, by sending the, the maybe, best. Maybe, <laughs> Okay, okay. What stresses me about this experiment and the visuals, you know, when I do large T uh, experiments with, with the whole structures, uh, you can usually see after the um, flames self-extinguish at some point if they do. But if they do, you can observe how the, all the char turns white on the on the structures, and there is this char oxidation eating out your your column, and you know you see these giant glulam columns like slowly but but very steadily disappear in front of your eyes. Especially, uh, we, we had one test, we had, uh, it, there was a massive steel joint at the bottom and you could like literally see more and more of this steel joint coming out of the column. That was really stressful, but it was stressful looking at it without knowing your experiments. Now, knowing your experiments, it's exponentially more stressful because I do not see what's happening inside. And now when we don't have combustion, but there is char oxidation, I guess this is also exothermic process. So again, this for one, uh, well, it, it generates new heat, so so the heat propagates uh, again into the column element. And uh, the other problem is what what Carmen Gurska has shown in her PhD. It's hot, 
So you, the heat goes uh, from hotter to colder. If the surface is hot, it, it's not going to go that way, right? Absolutely. So again, for all materials, even non-combustible, the heat travels from hot to cool. So it's going to keep on traveling toward the core. With timber, there is lots of additional complex physics going on because it's a combustible material. You can have, you know, combustion can continue. And Hyokian has talked about self-extinction and how that's a challenge to, to, to understand exactly and to know what's going to happen with respect to that. You have smoldering and you have drying, dehydration and so on, pyrolysis, right? So again, the, it's, a, it's a combination of all of that. Timber is even more complex because it's combustible. But even if we could control and make sure we have self-extinction, we don't have smoldering, there is a heat wave and a thermal lag, and the thermal diffusivity is very low in timber, so it takes time. And so if we are dealing with a building for which we want burnout resistance or for which we want firefighters you know, to go inside to fight the building, we need to better understand and account for, for this delayed phenomena. We are not saying that it's needed necessarily for all types of buildings, that the fire resistance approach, you know, is, is not valid, should be thrown away. Absolutely not. It depends on mm -hmm. the performance objective. So it depends what type of building we are dealing with. But you want to point that if firefighters are going to go inside, if a building is, is expected to, you know, burn out in a compartment and then stay stable, then you need engineers who take account and demonstrate that these effects are taken into account. How simple can it be? Like, do you need finite element modeling to solve that? Or maybe we can come up with some, I don't know, general rule or, or rule of a thumb that, that could help you assess, okay, if uh, your column was uh, meter by meter and the fire has ended, you can expect this wave propagate for like three hours, which means it will reach the half of the column. I don't know, just uh, spitting numbers from my head, but I, I think we need, especially on the subject of, on, of timber, where people get bored very quickly when you start going very technical because they want simple answers, you know, like isotherm for uh, for concrete. They, they want as simple as that. So can we make it as simple as that? Yeah, uh, it is a very complex process. And so using finite element modeling, it's also more complex as for mm -hmm. concrete elements, for example, whereas it's also <laughs> complex <laughs> for a, a usual design engineer, I would say. Um, because we have all these phenomena, smoldering, paralysis, and so on. Um, but on the other hand, we need uh, some simplified methods for design, but they are still not there, I would say, considering the cooling phase. There are some approaches also in the new generation of Eurocode 5, but I think there is a lot of work to do, research work to do, because it depends on so much parameters when you look to the real fire. So this approach, the DHP approach from my point of view, it's a very good approach to, to simplify the fire side, yeah? but to find the response of the element, mm. it's not so easy. So I think there we need more work to find a simplified model which could be used for a daily design, for example. But do you think we can simplify it to, to just consider the thermal layer or we need to model the structural response of the timber, the changes on the performance of timber as the temperature increases in various cross sections or or maybe we can just simplify it to one isotherm and, and just be done with it yeah 
Um, you mean like we, we have the approach now in Eurocode, yeah. which is only valid for, for heating phase where we reduce the cross-section? A, a simple approximation of, okay, the heating stopped at this moment. How much further can the isotherm travel? So what I can say is that we need, if we are interested in burnout resistance in cooling phase, we need to go past charring and charring rate. So that's the first thing that it's a big change in paradigms so in the okay. way we talk about it and represent it because the resistance of the member is not going to depend only on the position of the 300 degree isotherm, if I want to simplify. So char is used to be the whole thing we would care about. Now we consider this one of the array of, of things we need to consider. Correct, right? because... What's behind char is going to be to become very important, and whether you have a heating that's you know uh, more more progressive but goes much deeper, and you get to 100, 100 degrees C in the whole core at some point during the cooling, then you have a behavior very different compared to as if you have a massive section and the core remains cool, even if I mean the charring is is is, is equivalent. So that's the first thing, but then. Can we develop these simple design methods? It's, we are not there yet, but I, that's, we are working toward mm. that. And I, I believe uh, with some simplifications and so on, but they, they will, it will be possible to have pragmatic approach. And our idea conceptually is that we would still have the fire resistance and we keep it, and uh, it is, it is mm. useful, but we would add a second indicator, which is this DHP, as we call it, for duration of heating phase. So to quantify ability to survive to burnout. And we would be able to play with the two indicators and hopefully to have simple methods for both. And then depending on the performance objectives, you would pick or require what is meaningful, what is necessary for both fire resistance and uh, burnout resistance. And maybe for some buildings, there is no requirement at all for burnout resistance. Mm. Not that I, I vote for super simple methods or I want one. I'm, I'm quite happy with leaving engineering stuff into hands of competent engineers. It's just, you know, observing the history of fire science and understanding which uh, ways have uh, historically worked for a long time. Unfortunately, uh, as someone said, we will never have enough competent fire engineers to solve all the fire problems of the world. So we, we need to put some tools into hands of, of people who, who may not be as experts and conservative, simple rules usually work well within these hands. However, I already see an issue in here, given my experience in fire testing, isotherm 100 degrees. If we care about 100 degrees, that's a tricky thing one, because you may have a quite a large part of your cross-section at 100 degrees because of the heat of evaporation of water. So it's it's not like a, a narrow line that travels like the charring 300. That's that's very sharp interface. But 100 degrees, you can have a quite a significant part of your cross-section at 100 degrees. Um, and now now I, I would also like to, to hypothesize a little bit. So you were talking about this duration of heating phase as your approach to test, and uh, you were focused on heating quickly and then having decay. How about heating slowly and for a long period of time? I mean, that's my immediate uh, thought. That uh, It's a little reversed, but you would have safe phenomena. What would you say to that, Thomas? I'm glad you bring it up because now it's my opportunity to mention that we are still working on that with the same consortium. We are very happy that we can continue this research. So we are now in a phase two where we are actually studying 
this behavior, but under natural fire. So now, really, the approach was to be systematic. So we wanted to have a phase one where the experiments were as controlled, reproducible as possible. So it was done in, exper- in, in furnaces with a controlled cooling phase. And everybody can see we did the ex- each experiment twice. The results aligned very well. Others can reproduce. Um, but of course, it raises a lot of questions on the type of thermal exposure and how this behavior would be different if the thermal exposure, the fire is, is different, both in heating and in cooling. So we have been working on the phase two and we already have some of these experiments. And I cannot tell you more at this stage, but we, mm. <laughs> this is wor- work in progress. Um, so specifically to your question with the slow heating, that's, it's very interesting, right? Because I presented this, this research at a Congress for Firefighters in, in France in, in May. And, uh, one of the firefighters asked me, what about if, if a colonist, maybe not even in the fire compartment, was very f- far from the fire, but it gets heated at 100, 150 degrees for very long and it doesn't even mm. char. Uh, but, but honestly, I mean, we, we've not really studied that yet, but it brings a lot of question because if we, if you trust again those, reduction of strengths that you get in the Eurocode and that are from, you know, dehydration, drying, all those phenomena that mm. other guests have explained on your, very well on your post podcast, Felix Wiesner, Danny Hopkins, and so on. Mm. You could have significant reduction of capacity from moderate heating. And if it's long, because it has to penetrate right in the section, we are not saying that a hot summer day is going to bring mm. timber buildings down, but if it's from a fire, it lasts hours and you have this thermal wave, something to, to investigate, yes. And in terms of localized fires and the damage to like uh, ceilings, let, let's imagine we didn't have a fully fleshed over fire. You just had, let's, let's say, a vehicle burning or or, or something burning in, in proximity of timber. Well, in that case, I guess we, we should consider the timber flammability. So the scenario may look not as, uh, as, uh, as pretty as I just described. Yeah. Yeah. I would be less concerned about that in terms of the burnout resistance, specifically because what is critical in this concept of burnout resistance is the total amount of heat that penetrates the section, right? And it's the mm-hmm. idea that even if it's over a relatively short time or if it's a long time, but with no very high peak, if the total amount of heat is, you know, is significant, you'll get you'll heat also the, the core of the section. But if it's a localized fire, I mean, every case is different, uh, of course, but you don't have that much heat that, that penetrates the section in the first place, I would assume. Uh, I have a question that may, may be stupid, excuse me if it is, but uh, what, what if firefighters, are, let's imagine it's a, it's a real structure, what if firefighters apply on the, the water on it and, and quickly cool the external surface of the wall? I mean, the heat is still inside, I guess this, this time it travels both ways, but you'd probably still see the, the propagation in, inside and the damage would not be stopped by just sprinkling water on, on this. It's an excellent right? question, actually, because that's something we, we are studying. Yes, no, that's now. something we have <laughs> identified as possibly an important parameter and, and we are studying and we want to quantify to, to what extent it, it helps. But uh, if you can reduce the, the heat that is transferred still in the cooling phase as well, uh, that yeah, we did some experiments on massive timber elements, uh, CLT um, mm-hmm. elements, where the ceiling and some parts of the walls were unprotected. And then we had one mm-hmm. test where firefighters fighted the fire, extinguished the fire, and they used not so much water. It was about 3,000 mm-hmm. liters. 
So it was only one experiment, and it was a compartment of about uh, 40 square meters. But they were surprised not to need so much water. When they cooled down the the surface, the propagation or the penetration into the element stops very early. So I think that's not so a big problem. Of course, it's a bigger problem when you have a timber framework element where you have mm-hmm. a hidden fire or something like that. And uh, and the final one also to you, Johan, if you have a, a timber structure protected by, let's say, a layer of gypsum plasterboard just to extend the, uh, the, the fire resistance class of it, you would expect that at some at some point uh, the heat goes through the board and can penetrate the the column uh, and and it would not cause a immediate structural failure of 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 the R criterion within the fire test if you omitted the decay phase. In such scenarios, you would also be worried about the, the heat transfer. Is it the same scenario for you, or, or how do you view that? Now, of course, um, due to the gypsum elements, you have a delay in the heating and then a delay in, in the ignition. And the velocity of the pyrolysis of the charring process is different, mm-hmm. is lower, as we know, due to the lack of oxygen. But then after a while, mm-hmm. the protection material or the boards will fail, and then you have nearly the same situation as you have for an unprotected element. So we, we shouldn't consider this as, as uh, a complete solution. It's just a delay to the yeah. to the processes. It may be a solution for the structure you are considering. It, it may solve the problem for the one that, but but you need to understand and, and measure that. Fantastic. Okay, that, thank you very much. This this was very insightful. I need to get one more thing out of you. Uh, I think that we can clearly share with our colleagues, architects, structural engineers who are not very um, keen in fire. So let's try and nail the, the one most important thing that you, you've learned here that differentiates why this would be different from, let's say, steel structure or a concrete structure. Thomas, you want to start? So timber burns. That's something obvious we know. And because of that, a lot of the focus on ensuring fire safety of timber tends to be on understanding the charring speed and how long it takes for this combustion to to proceed and so on. And what we showed with those experiments is that, of course, all these combustibility issues, self-extinction, are important, but they are not the whole story if you're interested in stability to full burnout because timber also is affected by heat at temperatures lower than pyrolysis or combustion temperature. There's a lot going on dehydration, drying, lots of processes. So everybody needs to remember that even at relatively low temperatures, timber is affected. And because of that, a timber structural member continues to see its its strength, its capacity decrease for hours after a fire, during and after a fire. So we should take that into account if we expect firefighters to go inside building or if we expect building to remain stable, remain standing under a fire. Johan, you want to add something to that? Maybe how to use Yeah, I could emphasize. I think one very important issue is uh, uh, for the firefighting strategy. When they go into a timber building where we have a fully developed fire, um, they have to be more careful even after hours because we have a higher risk for failure in the cooling phase as I think we can say this 
as uh, we have uh, when we have a concrete structure. But uh, on the other hand, um, as we said, <laughs> we are not against timber, uh, not at all. Um, timber can have a very high fire rating. Yeah? Uh, it's a question of design. It's a question mm. of dimension. But uh, especially in the firefighters, when they come late, when they are a very, in a very early stage of the fire, uh, starting with the firefighting process, the problem is minor, I would think. Um, but when we have a very long time starting the extinction, the risk is higher that we have a failure in the cooling phase than when we need other uh, when we use other materials. Thank you. Thank you very much. A very a much appreciated message to this part of my audience. And for structural engineers who would like to approach this process, recognizing uh, the issue is enough and they will know what to do. So in this research, as always, we want to first observe, understand the behavior, and then provide the tools to have solutions. Jochen has said it's very important. So exactly. it's certainly not being against, you know, one type of solution or another. There are solutions to build fire safe structures, you know, with, with every type of, of structural systems, materials. Uh, so we are working on the solutions and structural engineers today can use finite element modeling or research suggests even with the effective properties from your code five, you get really good agreement with those experiments. And we are working on providing the simple design methods for DHP. Fantastic. And when you do that, make sure to come to the podcast <laughs> and <pleasure>. explain them. <laughs> You're already invited. Guys, once again, congratulations on, on your research. I think what we talked today may not be that easy from understanding it perspective, but it really is very visual when you see the, the failure of your element and you immediately realize what happens there. I think you've shown a very important distinction. Why there is such a, a movement in the fire community on researching timber? I mean, You've really captured one of these differences that, that really is there and uh, may uh, have a critical impact. And as Johan said, especially impact on the, the, the firefighters in the, in, in the phase that they would usually consider safe based on their experience. So thank you very much for that. And I'm very looking forward to the secret project. Uh, you've, uh, you've teased us without using the word traveling at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much, Wesh. And that's it. Super nice people doing super nice research. U European all-star team <laughs> researching uh, timber for you. I really love how we start getting all the puzzles together to be able to clearly say what makes timber in fire different than other materials in fire. It seems that we're on a great route to, to finally identify all the issues, hopefully all, uh, or at least most of the issues, and be able to actually communicate them and be able to work around them. And, uh, you know, by understanding that that's the first step to finding solutions. If we don't understand what's happening, if we don't understand what's different, we are unable to act. And if we do understand what's different, we can work around that. Uh, and that's beautiful. The research was carried on single type of an element, single size of an element. So definitely we need more. We need to understand better what's happening at the columns that are larger cross sections, at columns that are heated at different rates of heat exposure. But that's all to come. What we have now is the first indication that the numerical models were showing something that really happens in, in reality. They've demonstrated the physics that this collapse can can 
take place and uh, yeah we we know more today we know more today and we can already act on this knowledge so thank you thomas thank you johan for coming thank you for leading this beautiful research and i must say i'm really really looking forward to, uh, for more coming from this collaboration on on the collapse in the decay phase it's really exciting research to to look at uh listeners thank you very much for staying here with me and hopefully see you here next week cheers bye this was the fire science show thank you for listening and see you soon